Michelle and Kyle Shumway are the owners of the business Rad Swim, a super cute, modest swimmer company based in Utah. But what you might not know about their story is that Kyle was one of two men out of six who survived a plane crash in Alaska the summer of 2003. Today, Kyle shares with me the many miracles he believes saved his life, along with Michelle and the tender mercies she experienced as she waited to find out if he would survive the crash. Their story is riveting and inspirational and full of hope, and I cannot wait to share it with you today. Today, I have two special guests with me who I am so excited to talk to, and they run a business that I absolutely love. So I have Kyle and Michelle Shumway here from Rad Swim. Say hi, guys. Hi. Thanks for having us on. Oh my gosh. So excited to talk to you guys. So let's start just with the basics of your business. Do you guys run this together? Is it mostly your thing, Michelle? We definitely do it together. I mean, I, I had a really strong impression to start it really out of the blue about five years ago, maybe six. And I just, I didn't really know exactly how to do it, but I knew that it was an impression I needed to follow. And luckily Kyle has like the skill set that I totally needed. He built websites for people. So he built my website. He does photography. So he took my pictures and he still takes a lot of my pictures. So we do it all together. It's been so awesome. That's so cool. And so you said you had like a strong impression that you needed to start this. What, what was that like? What, what were your feelings and what were your thoughts starting Rad Swim? Actually, we had just decided to have a fifth baby. And I had the feeling probably two weeks after we decided to have a fifth baby. And it was totally out of the blue, but it was like super, super strong. And it was very clear. And I had no idea why, but I was like, okay, I've got to do this. So I told Kyle, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start a modest swimwear company. And he was super supportive from the very beginning. And what I didn't realize is that pregnancy ended up being super complicated. And I was just on strict bed rest a lot of the time. So while I was on bed rest is when I just started figuring out how to, how to do it. I just like trial and error, step by step. Um, I set a timer in my phone, like, okay, every day I'm just going to work on it for 10 minutes until I can figure out what I'm doing. And slowly that 10 minutes turned into minutes more. and hours. Yeah. And so anyway, our, we ended up having Rockwell, our fifth baby early. He was born 15 weeks early. Oh, wow. He broke a month before that. Oh my gosh. And so I had an emergency C-section and he ended up living for 11 hours which was heartbreaking. Obviously it was something I never, ever foresaw us going through, but it's interesting looking back and seeing Heavenly Father's hand throughout the whole thing. I just know that what happened was supposed to happen for a reason and that we'll have answers one day. But for right now, I'm just so grateful that we had the peace that we had. So looking back and being able to see the the whole picture has really helped and helped me understand maybe why Heavenly Father gave me that strong impression. And I'm so grateful for it because it really helped carry us through some of the loss. So about three months after we had Rockwell, I already had all my inventory and I just hadn't launched yet. And, and it was very, a very different spot than I thought we'd be in, you know, thinking, Oh, I'm going to have to like figure out how to manage five kids. But instead we were figuring out how to manage grieving um, and relax a lot on the atonement, which totally saved me, which is another story. But just how much it, it helped me heal so I could do what I was supposed to do. So we ended up launching, let's see, December. He was born in August. And in December, we just, Kyle encouraged me and said, Michelle, you just need to do it. Just start, just start posting on Instagram. And it worked. And that's the beginnings of it. I'm just really grateful for the whole thing. Actually, I feel like it's a tender mercy. So what a beautiful story. That's so cool. And I didn't know that that was the inspiration kind of behind like, you know, the whole story of where that came from and where it was developed. And that's really such a neat story. So why modest swimwear? Was there a reason that that, that you felt compelled to do that? Um, I, I don't know. How do I, we have this? four daughters. And I so... have four daughters and I feel like the, the more converted to the gospel I get, I guess I can word it that way. The more I can see the importance of it. Yeah. And so the impression to start a swimmer company just, it just made sense. It was going to be modest. That's just who I was and who I am. So I think yeah. it's important for people to be able to wear whatever they want to wear basically. Oh, 
and, and especially if that's modesty, then they should have options, you know? So yeah. I think it's cool that she does it. I think it's such a fun business for us too. So, well, and I also, so I had been looking at swimwear, um, like on Pinterest, that was so, so cute. Like Victoria's Secret swimsuits that had sequins. And I was like, that is so cute, but I just wish it was modest. And why can't this be modest? And so I think that was part of it. Obviously, I just felt like it was possible. So that was one of our first swimsuits was a sequin top one piece. And I just loved it. I still love it. It was just so fun to just see it actually happen, you know? That's awesome. It's been interesting for me too. Like you said, I mean, you said it perfectly as I've become more converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like those things have become more important to me. Mm-hmm. And someone asked the other day on Instagram, I, I got looped into one of those like challenges to show your first picture with your spouse. And it's a picture of Neil and me on a houseboat in Lake Powell. And I was in a bikini and I was like, well, this is just what it was back then. But interesting that you say you have all these daughters. I have three daughters now too. And it has changed over time thinking about, well, what do I, what example do I want to set for them? Or what example do I want to set for other girls who might be following me on Instagram? And I I never wanted to be the reason that someone said, well, she does this. So I'm going to do it too, you know? So it just changed for me over the years, you know, wanting to wear more modest swimsuits. I was totally the same way, Corinne. I, like, I think when we were first married, I totally remember having little bikinis and it's not that I like thought I was bad or like, I think that I was bad or whatever. Um, it was just that I just started feeling prompted to make some changes and I haven't looked back. And it's amazing. I've received some messages from especially moms of tweens Mm -hmm. who have been so grateful. They're just like, thank you so much for providing a swimsuit. My daughter loves that covers her. And so that's been like the most rewarding thing. That's so cool. And it is nice to have such cute options that are modest because those are hard to find right now. Yeah. Also, I don't know if it matters to very many people, but as a guy, my preference, just from a fashion standpoint, I've always thought one piece were cuter, not necessarily because of a modesty thing, just because I think that they're cute. I don't know. I, I like love that. Pieces. Maybe that's meant to be too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I think um, one last thought about this too. My mom, my mom kind of debunks the saying modest is hottest. My yeah. mom's always like, modest is not hottest. It's just modest. Yeah. And I love that because I'm like, it's not always about, you know, being the hottest or whatever. Sometimes it's yeah. just about preserving things and being a little more, like showing a little less to the world. And that's a good thing. Absolutely. So, totally. I 100% agree. Like what you do with Rad Swim now, how you're involved and Okay, yeah, we love things. working together as Rad Swim. I listened to your yours and Neil's podcasts on working together and it was really inspiring. Oh, and thanks. I think we have a really fun team as well. And I think it's so awesome being able to work with Michelle. A lot of what I do, I'm definitely not full time because we have our YouTubes going on. And I've been spending a lot of time on that, but it's just kind of dividing the time between the two. So like last week I was working on getting swimwear on Amazon and yesterday I blew up 3000 balloons and put them in our living room. (laughs) Today I'm building some new shelves for the the store. Yeah. So it's just kind of back and forth. And And he helps a lot with graphic design. So I'm not tech savvy and anything techie I need Kyle's help for. And he's also very artistic, which obviously comes in handy. So I'll be, I'll explain to him the kind of print that I'm looking for in the next swimsuit. And he knows how to digitize that and put it in the right file type to send it over to be printed, you know? So anyway. It sounds like you guys are the dream team. That's awesome. Oh, oh you're so even. sweet. That's you guys. Yeah. No, no, that's so awesome. Um, so, and you guys have been married for how long? 15, wait, 2003. How long has it been? Oh, 17 years. I don't even We're know. like 10 years <laughs> plus some. 10 years plus some. I like that. So I think that makes us, yeah. we just celebrated 17. 17. Yeah. That doesn't seem yeah, real. 17. That's awesome. You guys look like you're 30 years old, both of you. So oh. it's hard to believe that you've been married that long. So, so sweet. Um, so you've been married for that long. And then 
So I have to tell you, Michelle, when I Googled your name, because on your site, radswim.com, it is radswim.com, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I was like, oh, for sure, I'll find some type of about you. And I couldn't find anything, which in some ways I think is really cool. You're making it about the product and not about yourself. Um, but when I Googled you, I found the story from Desert News in 2003 of when Kyle was like rescued or whatever in Alaska. And I also had heard that story when I was listening to another podcast where you guys kind of just got into that just for a minute. And then mm-hmm. the, the full story wasn't told. So I am really excited to hear that story today. And so if you guys are okay with it, can we get, can we go into that story? Yes, yes let's do the sure. Alaska story. Okay. So that was in 2003, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had been married for about six months and Michelle's dad was like, Hey, do you want to go on this fishing trip with us? We're going to Alaska. And I was like, well, yeah, that sounds amazing. Michelle's dad had a plane. I don't even know how many hours, but he'd flown up to Alaska on more than a more than a couple occasions. He was an entrepreneur and just loved to fly. So in his free time, he was always just traveling in his planes. And yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So I was stoked. So it was in July and we mm-hmm. we flew up. It was a six-seater plane. So it was Michelle's dad. And then my brother-in-law, Ben, who actually had married Michelle's sister. So there were two of us. And then Michelle's 18-year-old brother, Chris. And then the other two, there were six of us. So the other two that were with us, Michelle's dad had recently remarried. And his two brother-in-laws were with us as well. Brothers and brother-in-laws? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, there were six of us. Um, and we flew up. We left in the morning and we stopped a couple times for gas like we stopped in like washington i think we stopped in idaho and washington and then we're off on the next leg and uh i don't know if you want me to just kind of dive in i do yes keep going i will yeah so it is yeah it's a little bit difficult to get into the headspace of just you have to kind of just close your eyes and dive back in but anyway so we I fell asleep and when I woke up, we were basically in the clouds. And one of the first things I remember is Michelle's dad on the radio, he was saying to us, he's like, you know, we're actually getting low on fuel. And we were descending and we were in the clouds. And about half of what he was saying, he was saying to us and about half of what he was saying, he was saying to the air traffic controller. And one of the things that he was asking them is, are there any airports that are closer to our destination? So Mm -hmm. our final destination was called Gustavus, Alaska. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll spell it because it's kind of weird when you say it's G-U-S-T-A-V-O-S, Gustavus, Alaska. Um, And that was um, uh, our final destination. But we are on the descent and we were low on fuel. So... And this is weird because I had just woken up and this is one of the first things I was hearing is we're low on fuel. So it's kind of heart-wrenching to hear you're in a plane and and you're low on fuel. But at the same time, I was kind of feeling like confident. I was like, oh, Gary knows what he's doing. You know, he's flown multiple times, like over 10,000 hours flight time. He just, you know, he's very smart, intelligent. I totally trusted him. So... Um, I almost like fell back asleep, but I didn't really, um, but I was, I had a lot of peace for some reason and I'll come back to that in a little bit later, but I, I wasn't worried. I wasn't panicked. I felt a lot of peace for some reason. Well, we continued to descend and we were in the clouds and it started to progress to the point where, uh, we got even more low on fuel. The air traffic controller came back and said, actually, no, there aren't any other airports that are closer to you. You're going to have to just do your best and make it all the way. And Gordy, who is one of Gary's brothers-in-law, he was sitting in the co-pilot seat. He said, you know, I'm looking at the fuel gauges. There's two engines. He's like, I'm looking at both of the fuel gauges and both of them are showing below E, like we're totally out of gas. And that got me to like totally wake up because I like if I'm in a car and I'm below E, I know that probably any minute I'm going to run out of gas, which is okay in a car. I think right. <laughs> I, I used to do that all the time, especially at that age. I was like, both of us. Yeah, we, used to both we still do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we do sometimes. <laughs> no, but um, in the airplane, it's way different. Right. And so 
Gary continued to communicate with the air traffic controller. One of the things that was really scary is we were descending, right? And it was mm-hmm. frustrating because we were in the clouds. Because in a normal, let's say you're out in the middle of the desert and clear blue skies, you know you're about to run out of gas. You just descend and then find a safe place to land, right? Right. Well, we're in Alaska in the clouds. And so we have no, we're, we're probably over water, but we don't know. And oh, wow. it was frustrating to like not be able to look around and think, okay, if we do run out of gas, let's find a flat place to land. Mm-hmm. So one thing Gary said, well, we've descended to, I don't remember exactly what it was, probably something like 2,200 feet. And he's, he asked the traffic controller, are we in danger? And the air traffic controller came back immediately and said, yes, you are in danger. Because one of the most common crashes in Alaska is people would just fly right into a mountainside because they'll be oh. over water. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. really steep mountains. And as you're descending, it's almost like a maze. You kind of have to fly Attitude. through. Yeah, straight is the gate and narrow is the way kind of comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to descend a certain way or else you might just slam into the mountainside. So you're dependent on the air traffic controller or on your instruments if um, if you're flying IFR. Anyway, so we were descending. And so at that point, Gary had to pull back on the controls to get us to ascend more because we didn't want to crash into a mountain right. into the mountainside. So Anyway, the traffic controller came back on about a minute later and said, okay, you're safe to descend based on where you are. But that was frustrating to know that we wasted that fuel to, to climb for a minute or two because it wasn't probably about three minutes after that that we lost all the fuel in one of the engines. And I, I still remember sitting there in my seat and looking out the window. It splattered with rain and it's clouds, but I can see the wingtip and I can see the, the engine prop as it just sputtered and slowed down and just stopped. And it was, I mean, talk about the scary, <laughs> talk about the scary things that one can go through in their lifetime, right. like basically tops the list. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Gary said, okay, guys, I lost gas in one of my engines. I'm going to try to get it started again. And so he continued to to try to start that. He got that one started, but then within the next minute, the other engine experienced the same thing, ran out of gas in the other engine. And so for just the next like two or three minutes, he was starting them again and they were running out of gas again. Just um, so it was crazy. And then eventually we were just no, no gas left, not able to restart the engines again at all. Wow. Yeah, it was really heart wrenching. We were so we were in the clouds, and one thing, if you fly private prop planes, one thing that's really that you'll know is they're very loud, right? So you're talking, you have your headphones on, you have your microphone on, and that was one of the craziest things is just how silent it was. I mean, there was still wind going past at like a hundred plus miles per hour, so it was still loud, but it's not like the loud engines were going. So just the silence of being out of gas. And everyone just kind of looking around at each other. Like, what do you think? What do you mm-hmm. say? So did you guys immediately start coming up with a plan? What are we going to do? Yeah. yeah. So first, um, I prayed. I was like, I'm just going to say a prayer. Because there was kind of a, a, a bit of commotion happening. And so I just kind of bowed my head and I said a prayer. And Ben, my brother-in-law, who was sitting kind of across the aisle from me, he, I could tell he was doing the same thing. Michelle's brother was very panicked. He was just really wide-eyed look, looked at me and said, what's going on? What's, what's going to happen? And I tried to reassure him. I said, Chris, everything's going to be okay. We're, we're going to be fine. Um, right about then, we came out of the clouds. And they think that the cloud cover was about 3,000 feet. And so we came out of the clouds, and it was a really pretty scene, to be sure. Like, the sun was, like, setting because it hangs for a long time on the horizon in Alaska in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were rain clouds, and it was just sprinkling lightly. But Gary said, does anyone see land? Because we're over, over water, right? And we were looking all around. He said, he said, where's the closest land? And the reason he couldn't see straight in front of him, because the nose of the plane was, was pitched so high to keep us. Oh, wow. There. And I, I pointed ahead, and I was like, there's land. It's right ahead. 
And he kind of leaned forward in his seat and he saw that we we're headed towards the closest land around, which was kind of a miracle in and of itself, um, which is probably the first miracle of many, which I'm going to highlight hopefully throughout this yeah. thing. Talk a little bit faster, but I um, know <laughs> <laughs> you're doing awesome. Okay. So, um, so miracle number one, we were headed towards the closest land around, which was amazing. But right when Gary saw it, he said, unfortunately, you guys, we're not going to make that. So we need to prepare to ditch this plane. And then he just started giving us instructions. He said, Ben, because Ben was sitting next to the door. He said, Ben, I need you to open the top of the, of the door to the plane. Because the plane had a bifold door. It opened up on top and down on bottom for the stairs. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if someone asked or if I'd researched it since then. But you don't want to open the bottom because you don't want the stairs to catch the water when you're trying to land in the water. Gotcha. It, it might spin the plane out of control or something. So he said, Ben, open the top of the the top door of the of the plane, and then everyone take your seatbelts off. And I I don't know if it was adrenaline or whatever, but everything was just making perfect sense to me. I was like, okay, number one, we don't want to get trapped in a sinking plane, so that's where right. you have to open the door. And number two, you don't want to get stuck in your seatbelt. So I I undid my seatbelt. In the front seat, Gary and Gordy, they kept their seatbelts on because they don't want, you don't, the instrument panel is so close, so you don't want to slam into that. But he did say, guys, pass forward some pillows for us up front. And I don't know if it was that and kind of imagining why they would need pillows, but the reality of it just kind of started to sink in. And I was like, this is for real, like legit, we might actually crash in the water. And whether from answer to my prayer or whether from other things, I don't know, but a huge wave of peace just started to envelop me almost like, like a blanket, like a jacket. It was so crazy because it was by far the scariest thing that I've ever been in, in my whole life. But I was feeling the spirit. I was feeling the Holy Ghost so strongly at that point. And the spirit was whispering that everything was going to be okay everything was going to be all right. So I thought that was so cool. And I just shout out to Heavenly Father that he was willing to bless me with his spirit at that time. I thought that that was really cool. That's amazing. Um, We continued to descend and we got closer to the water. Ben continued to pray. Michelle's other brother, Chris, who was sitting kind of kitty corner to me, he continued to just kind of panic. Gary had a couple of last communications with the trap with the uh, Coast Guard, no, with the air traffic controller. The last thing that the air traffic controller said was the Coast Guard is aware of your situation and they are on their way. And oh, so that um, so we descended and we came down, we came down. And when we were probably, I don't even know, four or five hundred feet up, I had a thought in my head that was like, you know, when we hit the water, because I was facing forward. Mm-hmm. I was like, when we hit the water, I, I, for some reason, had a picture in my mind that we weren't going to skim across the top like a like an actual pontoon plane would, that we would hit the water and we would just come to an abrupt stop. And so I knew that if I was just sitting in my seat without a seatbelt, that I would go go flying forward and slam into like the seat in front of me, mm-hmm. which was facing backward. And so I... Um, I kind of sent my thoughts. It's weird when you're in a situation like that. All thoughts kind of are prayers, you know? Yeah. So I sent my thoughts to Heavenly Father, but it was a real heartfelt prayer. Like, help me understand how to get through this. Or basically, I have a need. I need to, to get through this. And again, I had a very clear picture in my mind that came to my mind of me, like, sitting up and, like, twisting in my seat and wrapping my arms around the back of my seat and clasping my hands so that I wouldn't fly forward and like not get knocked out when we crashed. So I did wow. that. I sat up and I twisted in my seat and it turned me sideways. And I wrapped my arms around like a, a really good wrestler hold. Mm-hmm. I held really tight behind my seat. And I think that's one another miracle that ended up saving my life is that I, I was inspired. I got some personal revelation on what I should do to save my life. And it's to quickly do that. Yeah. I, mm. in a million years, I would never think of that. 
And in fact, just having been in a couple of car accidents, it's like you do exactly what you're not supposed to do when you know you're going to get hit. You like tense up, you know, and what you're supposed to do is relax and put your head back. I've never done that in a car accident. So it's amazing to me that in a few seconds you would have that. To me, that sounds like total inspiration. It was awesome. I'm so grateful for it. And I just want to kind of highlight this as a as something that um, I'm really grateful for. But at the same time, you have to you have to kind of work. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not easy to have the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. Right. The week and a half prior, I went on a trip. It was like a guy's trip. And there are a couple of my of my buddies that had like that had like started like binge drinking and stuff like that. And that there were there was temptation. There was a lot of temptation to just kind of like go along with that. And Hey, this is kind of like what we're doing now, but I decided to stick with the good ship Zion. And, and anyway, it, it's so crazy to think if I had made this decision then this stuff would have happened. If I had made that decision, I probably would have ended up in a completely different situation, but I just want to say how grateful I am that I was able to have the companionship of the Holy ghost. That's powerful. Yes. Um, so anyway, so I clasped my hands around the back seat, and another miracle that happened is when I did that, it put me in a perfect perspective to look out the door of the plane. And I had said that it was a pretty scene when we came out of the clouds. And now at this moment, it was like unbelievably beautiful. I looked out the door of the plane and the, the sunlight, the sunset was like right on the horizon. And there was a break in the clouds right on the horizon. And the sun was like glistening off the water and it was like bouncing off the bottom of the clouds to create really pretty colors. And I was blessed with what I think was one of the prettiest sunset scenes I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And it was one thing that just gave me a little bit of a boost of motivation. Like you have to stay living in this earth right now. You have to survive this. And I did. So I hit the water and... I felt my arms tug really hard and then we hit the water again and that was the loudest bang I've ever heard. And that was like the last thing I remember before I blacked out. When I came to, I was sitting in about a foot of water on the ground and I looked over at the door of the plane because that's the one thing I was worried the most about. And there was water like flowing into the door of the plane. Um, And I want to say like before anything else, the spirit was like, like, our, I, I don't know if, I think it was you and Neil were talking about the way the spirit communicates. And I'd never heard anyone else use this term before, but I, it's the term I always use when the spirit was talking to me, he was yelling at me. The spirit was like mm-hmm. shouting at me, like yeah. you have to get out of the plane, you have to get out of the plane. So I thought that was really interesting that you guys had used that same terminology because he, I think the Holy Ghost does use whatever means of communication will help us most. Yeah, that's only happened to me like two times in my life, but both times were very distinct. Yeah, it was so cool. Get out of the plane. But at the same time, I had I had peace as well. Things are going to be okay, but get out of the plane. Get out of the plane as fast as you can. Yeah. So I started kind of making my way towards the, the doorway to the plane. And as I was doing so, I looked towards the front of the plane and it was Michelle's dad, Gary. And... Um, Gordy had been sitting in the co-pilot seat and his brother, Adam, was up there and he was yelling, my brother, my brother, you've got to get my brother. We have to help my brother. Um, So they and it was very cramped, like this private plane was about the size of the inside of a suburban. So you can't really picture like a private jet, like how people can stand up. It's really cramped. And so there's really nothing I could do up there to help them. But I could Mm -hmm. tell Gary and Adam were really trying to get Gordy to get out of his seat. I don't know if his seatbelt was jammed or whatever. Um, So I decided to just continue to listen to the promptings of the spirit. And I made my way towards the door on my way. I saw Ben and Ben was just. Ben is my sister's husband. Yeah. My Mm brother-in-law. He was kind of where I had been sitting and keep in mind, I was still kind of like really dazed, but I looked over at Ben and he had a huge gash above one of his eyes and blood was just flowing out of that and just flowing through his eye and down the side of his face. And he was talking, he was talking about like seafood or something like. (laughs) It was obviously incoherent. Yeah. He was like, when are we going to have that seafood buffet? And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, So, I mean, I'm laughing about it now, 
But anyway, I grabbed him and I kind of pulled him. I was like, Ben, we got to get out of the plane. We got to get out right now. And so I grabbed him and I pulled him out and we got out of the plane together. So I'm trying to picture the plane. It's underwater or it's floating on water or it's sinking. What's happening? It's sinking. Yeah. So there's, okay. it's about halfway sunk by this point. Yeah. Okay. So about, A foot of water. Or something. Yeah. There's, by this point, there's probably about two feet of water in the plane. Okay. And like, and so we're trying to get out of the plane before it sinks all the way. And so, yeah, I paused at the doorway of the plane and just, I remember like thinking this is going to be like really cold. Then I got in the water and it wasn't like ice cold. Luckily, it was the peak of the summer, like mid-July, July 12th, which they say is about as warm as the water ever gets there in, in, in that part of Alaska. Um, so I got in. Michelle's brother, Chris, had already got out of the, had gotten out of the plane. And then Ben got out of the plane also. And so there are three of us outside the plane just waiting in the water. And I guess the cold water kind of shocked Ben back into full coherency. So he was able to see what was going on. Michelle's brother, Chris, 18 years old, unfortunately, he was having a full-fledged panic attack. It was extremely unfortunate, but he's like, where are we? What's going on? What's happening? The yeah. cold water also might have hit him a yeah. little bit harder. He was like super skinny, yeah. 18 year, you know, small. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, I, yeah, I just tried to reassure him like, Hey, everything's going to be okay. And then, um, so Ben and I were just, you know, we were there just waiting, watching the plane sink and more water went into the door and there was probably like two feet of the fuselage above the water line. And then it just continued to sink more and more. And, um, right when there was almost no space left in the doorway of the plane, like right when the doorway would have been fully enveloped or whatever, engulfed, is that the right word? Um, Bill's <laughs> dad, Gary came swimming out and it was so relieving to see him. But from what I can tell, he had probably broken his nose on the instrument panel because his face was kind of covered in blood beneath his nose. And he was like grief stricken from what I could tell. He said, uh, I tried everything I could do to get them to come out of the plane, but they just wouldn't come. I couldn't get them to come. Speaking about his new wife's two brothers that yeah. wouldn't leave each other. Yeah. So, I mean, it was probably 15 seconds before the, the plane sank all the way. I remember we were just there and we just watched it. I, I specifically remember the water lapping right over the top of the round fuselage and it just like sank it sank pretty fast because it was heavy and the, the wingtip lights were actually still flashing the tail light was still flashing we just watched it sink and for a minute i stayed there thinking well Ad like at the very least adam's gonna come swimming up i mean he probably just realized maybe gordy like didn't make it um, but he never did adam from what i can tell um he gave his life to try to save the life of his brother gordy um, so I think that was, I mean, I, I've never seen that happen. I think it was really, really cool that that was heroic. It was so heroic. Yeah. yeah. So the spirit changed from yelling, get out of the plane to you need to get to shore as fast as possible. And so I did, I just started swimming. I, I mean, I said, guys, come on, let's swim. We got to swim. And Gary kept saying, I couldn't get them to come. I couldn't get them to come. And, um, and Chris was like, where are we? Like, where's the plane? Where's Adam and Gordy? What happened? So he like, didn't realize what was going on. I just started swimming. Even though the air traffic controller had told us the Coast Guard is on their way, for some reason I knew that I had to get to shore. Mm -hmm. The worst case scenario, we would be like 200 yards over from where they thought we were or whatever. But to kind of give away the end of the story, the Coast Guard never came and so I, I'm really grateful that the spirit was directing me to swim to shore. So I picked a log on the shoreline, which I didn't know was a log. It was too far away at the time. Really, all I could see was like a tree line, a very faint tree line. Mm -hmm. And I could tell that it was land. And so I started swimming. And oh, we all just kind of started swimming. And I wish I could pull it up for you and show you, but the Coast Guard at the time had a list of things that you should do for cold water survival. And one of the things is don't swim, stay where you are, huddle with any people that you're with so you can conserve warmth. And I'm so really? glad I know about that. Yeah. yeah. 
about how cold the water was? Yeah, so they say the water was between 48 and 52 degrees. So let's oh just say gosh. 50 degrees. <laughs> yeah, so they say unconsciousness comes like within about 20, 20 to 25 minutes. Okay. Um, and do you so, know how far away you guys crashed from land? It was about a mile and a half. So we went oh back gosh. about a week or two later for a memorial service. And we boated out to about the point where I, I thought, you know, just based on what I could see and how it looked when we crashed. And it was about a mile and a half from, from the shoreline. Wow. So we started swimming. Uh, Gary said, you guys swim ahead. You guys just keep swimming. I'm going to stay back with Chris. And we did. We just swam and we swam really hard. And we were swimming for about 15 or 20. We were trying to shout back and forth to each other because Ben and I were making a lot more progress than Gary and Chris because Chris was still in a really panicked state and Gary was having a hard time getting him to swim. Um, but Gary kept saying to us, don't, don't stay back for us. Do not stay back for us. I, I'm going to stay with, with Chris. You guys swim ahead. Coast Guard should be here any minute. Did you have experience as a swimmer? Were you... You know, I, one of my biggest regrets is that I quit the swim team when I was in 10th grade. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I would have stuck with it. Um, but yeah, I definitely could swim, but it was made so hard by the fact that it's not like a normal stroke, like, because the water is so cold, you don't want to put your head under yeah. and you all want to stay fully clothed. That was one thing that Gary told us, just keep your clothes on. It'll keep you warm. Which I'm glad he, he said that to us. So it was just, it wasn't classic swimming it was just so much like different yeah mm -hmm. it was just survival and uh so I did the breaststroke just facing forward keeping my head above water and just trying to swim as fast as I could and Ben did some random like two-handed backstroke which I thought was <laughs> really weird but it worked well for him <laughs> so one of the really but the worst part of the story, I think, is just, it was about at this point, like 15, almost 20 minutes into the swim, when Ben and I, we were, you know, shouting back and forth to each other and shouting back and forth to Gary and Chris. It was about at this point when Gary and Chris just stopped responding to our shouts. Um, so the swells in the water were probably a foot or two high. And if we came up on the on a swell at the same time that someone else did, like you could kind of see their head bobbing up. Mm -hmm. And it was it was getting really dark by this point. Like the sun had sunk all the way below the horizon. But there was still a little bit of light because the sunlight lasts a really long time. But still, like I stopped and I turned and Ben and I could kind of see each other. We were probably 100 yards apart by this point. And up until this point, I... I was guessing that Gary and Chris were about a hundred yards behind him. Um, but yeah, we, we continued to yell to them and continue to wait and see if they would come, come back or, or start shouting again. And we never heard from them again. So again, we have another one of these situations where Gary and Michelle's dad, he was super fit, very in shape, probably the most in fit, like 50 something year old guy that I knew. He, he stayed behind and he just gave his life to try to save the life of his son. And um, I just think it's amazing that we saw this happen a couple of times. Because even, even the Savior said, greater love hath no man than this. You know, So I think it was so, so unfortunate that it happened. But I feel really special to have witnessed that greatest moment of love that we can, that we can potentially witness that someone gave their life for someone else. I thought that that was so cool. And um, it was sad and it was very discouraging, but I was comforted by the, by the atonement, by the Holy Ghost. So I'm grateful for that. So at this point, we, we had no choice but to keep swimming. From what I could tell, we weren't even like halfway there. So it was really, it was really discouraging. And I was scared, to be honest. I was really scared. But we just kept swimming. Ben and I, we shouted back and forth to each other, you know, trying to keep it light. Hey, are you there yet? And no, I'm not there yet. Um, but we kept shouting uh, back and forth. And Michelle, why don't you start here and talk about like maybe what you heard? Uh, okay, sorry, I'm all sorry to throw it to you. <laughs> I am too. I'm like pregnant and crying over here. <laughs> so, um, 
my sister and I lived in my, my mom's old house. She lived upstairs and I lived in the basement. Well, Kyle and I lived in the basement and my sister came downstairs in the middle of the night and woke me up and said, um, the plane didn't land. We don't know what happened, but all we know is that it didn't, it didn't make it to its destination right away. We weren't too panicked, but obviously that was, we just knelt and started just praying immediately. Yeah. And then all we could do at that point was just wait. We didn't want to tell anyone else yet. We just figured, well, why don't we just wait until we hear more? Cause maybe he landed somewhere else, you know? And after a few hours of still no, no word of why they didn't make it to their destination, we went over, we came to my mom's house and woke up my mom. It was probably like 5 a.m. and told her, hey, the plane didn't land. We don't know what this means. And she reassured us, you know, everything is probably fine. You guys should try and go back to sleep. You know, your dad, he probably just landed in a field. They're totally fine. And so that was comforting. We fell asleep. I fell asleep for a little bit. I do remember throughout the so many prayers we just kept saying that Kyle witnessed, I had a very similar feeling of so much peace. Yeah. So much that sometimes it's unreal to me. I'm like, how was I feeling so much peace? It doesn't make sense. But then it wasn't until, I guess I should let you share your part of the story because, well, I guess I can tell you this. Well, no, you go ahead and share okay. yours and I'll share the rest of mine because I okay. want to give it away. So we kept swimming and uh, the hypothermia was sinking in like really intense by this point. Um, I feel like I kind of went crazy a little bit. Like I I remember like shouting out to like a boat that was like miles and miles off in the distance. Like I could see it, but there's no way they would have heard me. Like shouting prayers. Um, I barely remember like taking my shirt off. Like I had the presence of mind to like separate it from my garment top (laughs) and it was like two sizes too small. So imagine trying to keep your head above water and separate a too small shirt, full cotton from your garment top and like pulled over. It was really hard, but, but I did that because I, I I wanted the protection of, of the garments or whatever. And I, I took my pants off as well, but then I just kept swimming at one point, though, these second and third winds just started to run out, started to expire. And I remember at one point I, I did give up and my head sunk beneath the water and my arms and legs were so tired and I was just beyond the point of shivering. I was just done. I remember I couldn't feel the tips of my fingers. Um, but anyway, the discouragement and everything got to me and I just kind of sunk beneath the water and I gave up. Um the thing that ended up saving me in that time is I thought of Michelle, I thought of Michelle's face, like my new, like beautiful bride. We're married only six months by this point. And I was like, I cannot just leave her like a widow. I can't just leave her behind. And I also, um, I had like an image, like a clear picture. I don't know if, I don't think it was them exactly, but I think heavenly father allowed me to see a glimpse of our future family, like our kids. Mm Uh, seeing that allowed me to to um, almost like see the future, and I was really really grateful for that because from the image of my of Michelle's face, I was able to like say, "Forget this! I'm I'm not gonna die. I'm gonna fight my way back up to the surface." And so I did, and I just kept swimming. Um, that motivation lasted me up until I hit the kelp, and the kelp it's like seaweed. It sits mm-hmm. on the surface of the water and. It was so thick and it was like about 200 yards off from the shoreline. And so I had that care of the shoreline there and it was enough to motivate me to swim hard, but making it through the kelp was without a doubt the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. The next day in the hospital, they were treating like scrapes that were up and down my neck because what was happening is it was as I was trying to swim through it, it was getting wrapped around my neck and I couldn't really breathe and it was kind of like dragging me down. So it was a really frantic move to like, try to like grab it and pull it away from my neck while still trying to keep my head above water. Mm -hmm. So it was crazy that I almost drowned in that, but I, it was at the very end. And so, yeah, I made it through that and then I made it to shore and uh, this is why I know how crazy I was. I, you think I would have the presence of mind to stand up, turn around and like cheer Ben in, but I didn't. All I did was stand up and I was like walking around on all the sharp rocks and everything. 
and I, I like the bottoms of my feet got all cut up and everything. And I think I just passed out. The next thing I remember is Ben was making it to shore and he had to come and like kind of like wake me up. And so I'm glad that he made it. Like we kind of saved each other's lives. Like I pulled him out of the plane and not that he wouldn't have gotten out without me, but then he came and saved my life because I probably would have died from hypothermia at that point. So I'm really grateful that we, that we both made it. Uh, one of the first things we did is we said a prayer and then we kind of moved up into some bushes and we huddled together because it was still raining really hard. We kind of huddled together. And man, I just realized I missed like three miracles. But anyway. Um, oh, you ha- do have you to share. tell them. Yeah. Let's okay. go back and not miss okay. them. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know where we're at on time. Well, let me just ask you this. So you made it to shore. Looking back, is there anything that you feel like, were there other little tender mercies or miracles that helped you get there? Yes. Yeah, definitely. So when when I was in primary, I was the best singer in primary, like by far, like the whole primary (laughs) knew Kyle. Like I was so popular. (laughs) Very humble. Just just in our ward, actually. Probably some of them were more annoyed than anything, but I was just the best singer. I was so good and I, I took so much pride in this. And one of my favorite songs was I Know My Heavenly Father Loves Me. And those who aren't familiar with it, I'll just quote some of the lyrics. Whenever I hear the song of a bird or look at the blue, blue sky, whenever I feel the rain on my face or the wind as it rushes by, whenever I touch a velvet rose or walk by a lilac tree, I'm glad that I live in this beautiful world heavenly father created for me <laughs> sorry just gonna break down it's okay um so as i was swimming this scene was like being like painted out before my eyes like there were fish jumping and the water was just sprinkling on the surface of the water and there was a slight breeze and there were birds flying and it was so I mean, if you've been to Alaska, you know it's so beautiful. And just multiply that times like three or four. Like all my senses are heightened to the max and I'm so scared. But but for some reason I was put in this situation that was so beautiful. And I don't know if Heavenly Father knew that I needed that. But it was it was one of the things I had the song stuck in my head for like at least half this swim. And I was just so grateful because it's just that last line. I'm glad that I live in this beautiful world. And so that kept me motivated to to survive a lot of this swim. And what a miracle. I mean, who has that song stuck in their head in this life or death situation? That is such a tender mercy. That is, I picture, I like to picture like angels, maybe even ancestors, knowing this, that you love this song and singing it to you. Yeah. Anyway, maybe, yeah. Our, maybe our future kids, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it was really cool. It was really, really special. Yeah, that's beautiful. But yeah, so that was, I, that was one of my favorite things. One of, definitely a tender mercy. But yeah, we made it to shore and we had to huddle up in the bushes for the next eight hours. And then uh, in the morning, we actually could hear helicopters throughout like half the night. And then they had ended up calling off the search. And we could see they were way off. We weren't even close. Later, we found out that we were like way outside their search grid. But yeah, they, uh, the the next day, the the search resumed. We could kind of hear, like every 10 minutes, you could just hear some faint helicopter choppers. And, um, anyway, we, we huddled there. We said a lot of prayers and the shivering for me eventually came back, which was awesome. Uh, which means I started getting some body warmth back. And I mean, long story short, we eventually through saying a lot of prayers, there was a boat, a small ish fishing boat that came about a couple hundred yards off from shoreline. And it was kind of funny because we were saying a prayer when I spotted it. Ben had really long-winded prayers. Like, seriously, it was like almost like a five-minute prayer. Um, But I could see the boat coming. And, like, I kept one eye open and, like, one eye closed. I was trying to watch the boat. And right when we said amen, my arms shot up and I started waving. 
and I waved and waved and waved and the boat kind of got right in front of us. And then I kept waving and the boat like got past us and I dropped my arms and I was like, they didn't see us. And Ben said, Kyle, don't stop waving, keep waving. So I kept waving. And then a couple, like probably one to two minutes later, we heard the boat, just like one toot of its horn. Wow. (laughs) It started turning towards us and I didn't want to believe it at first, but yeah, we, it started turning towards us and then gave another toots of it, of its horn, another toots, (laughs) Uh, tooted its horn a couple more times. And um, Ben and I just broke down weeping. We were just crying. Like we didn't know if we were going to have to live there for like a couple of weeks. Like I was talking to Ben, I was like, I'm going to build a lean, a lean to. <laughs> like <laughs> castaway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we were so grateful. So those guys came and they launched their little raft and it came over and they brought us some jackets and some shoes and they, they called the coast guard that came and they found a, a place about a hundred yards away to land their helicopter. And uh, one cool thing is that the guy from the boat that spotted us, he said, uh, he said, I was up on the top of the boat and I was just kind of looking through the binoculars. It was our last day here. We, we had heard about the crash and so we were kind of keeping our eyes open, but I wasn't like actively looking for you guys. He said, but, but something just grabbed my head and turned it to the side. And he said, and I just looked through my binoculars and I saw you there. And I thought to myself, what's this guy doing standing out there with nothing but his skivvies on? He's <laughs> 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 like, so funny. anyway, um, I thought that was really cool that um, he, he felt prompted to turn and he saw us and there we were. So, cause there, I mean, Sometimes in in peak season that you do have cruise ships going through there. It's called the Icy Strait, but they're like like two miles offshore. And this guy was really close for some reason, close enough to see us. Wow. So, Another one of the total miracles. Yeah, for sure. So we were saved. The Coast Guard, they, they asked us our names, so they knew they had two survivors. And then Michelle's just going to share one quick thing, I think. So, yeah. Um, my family at like maybe 7 a.m. or so, we kind of spread the word to all the siblings and gathered together uh, on my mom's front porch. I just remember all of us sitting there and kind of just in silence with a lot of prayer. And I remember going off on my own. I guess I got a, someone got a phone call. My sister got a phone call. And they called and said. That there were two survivors, but they couldn't tell us who they were. Oh, wow. And that was really, really heartbreaking news. Of course, we want everyone to survive. We're all very cl- a close, tight-knit family. So I went off on my own and said my own, another little prayer on my own. And I had the sweetest feeling that confirmed that it was Kyle and Ben that were the survivors, which looking back there, I have no idea how it was so clear, but it just was. And I knew that it was the spirit because of the way that it felt. It just felt like peace and love. And so I went up to my sister and just said, I, have a, I had a really good feeling that our husband survived, which was a big deal being still in the temple, um, six months married. I didn't know what our futures would be without our eternal companions, you know? So we got, let's see, then I got a call probably an hour later and it was Kyle. That was wow. the first, that was the first word that we had heard. And I just broke down crying, of course, just so happy to hear from him and and asked him, what about the others? Like, did they make it? And he broke the news and said they, they didn't make it, which was so hard to hear. And I almost didn't believe it at first. I just thought they probably just didn't find them yet. You know, I, it was hard to swallow. And then telling my family was hard. But throughout it, I have to say, I am still so amazed at the peace and the comfort that the Savior's Atonement brought. I had no idea before this that the Savior's Atonement could heal so completely like it did. Just, and it was a continuous process that took me a long time to learn, even several months later. And I just remember hearing the Mormon Tabernacle Choir or the Tabernacle Choir in Temple Square singing at the December concert, Be Still My Soul. And I just had this flood of the Spirit enter my heart, comforting me. And 
I just knew at that moment, like the atonement will cover this pain. It will heal me. And it was, and it did. And I'm so grateful for that because without it, I don't know where I would be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just have to echo too what you guys keep saying. It's remarkable to me to hear you say over and over, you felt so much peace. You had so much peace. Like, you know, when you knew the plane was going down, when the plane went down, as you were swimming to shore, Michelle, you felt the peace. You know, we had a really similar, not similar, it was not similar, but we had my brother-in-law go missing a little over a year ago. And it's really interesting um, going back through that whole experience. And he ended up being, he was found and he was deceased and it didn't turn out like the miracle that we prayed for. And, and yet from the moment that Neil and I found out that he was missing, um, we felt peace. And he, when he tells that story, he says like, I just felt peace. I felt like everything was going to be okay. We were going to find out that Dave was just like missed, you know, he ran out of gas in the Canyon or something, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and I think that the parallel I'm seeing with both stories is that it didn't necessarily turn out as the miracle that everyone hoped for. Like you guys would have wanted six survivors, right? You Mm -hmm. know, and of course we would have wanted our brother-in-law to be found or Neil's brother to be found and everything was okay. And just because everything doesn't turn out perfectly the way that everyone wants it to, you know, doesn't mean that that peace isn't there. And, and I think that that's something really to be noted that God will help us through those hard times, even when everything doesn't turn out perfectly, because it just wouldn't be the experience that we need on this earth. If every time we prayed for something, it was like, you know, putting money into like a little like candy dispenser or something, you know what I mean? Like you can't just always get every single thing that you ask for, but even through those trials, he gives us the peace that we need. Absolutely. And I really think a lot of it is asking for it and just not forgetting that we need to continue asking for it. And that's part of Heavenly Father's plan is we need to be reliant on him and there's no end to his help. He can help us as much as we need, but we just have to ask and have faith and, and look for his help and have a desire to feel his help. Totally. Mm -hmm. And I, I love so much too, that Kyle, that you've highlighted so many times that God gave you miracles and that God helped you through this whole experience. You know, that's such an important part to recognize his hand in everything. Just as far as the whole experience goes, I think one of the greatest miracles is just after it happens in the weeks following, I think the greatest miracle that I continue to be struck with is just how awesome life is, just how cool it is to be alive. And I know it sounds cliche, but every breath was a gift. And that was the thought I just continued to have is the fact that I'm breathing right now is so cool. Why am I worried about like this or that or whatever? Like just the fact that I'm alive. And that's one thing I just, I almost wish I could feel that every day. Just the, It's almost like a birthday, just the beauty and the joy of just being here. And that's one thing I just wish I could leave with everyone is just you're alive and the Heavenly Father loves you. He knows about you and take joy in that. So anyway. I love that so much. Um, Will you, I usually ask that last question. So I'll ask you one more time, just in case you have anything else to add. And just let me say, it's been such a gift to hear this incredible experience that you guys went through and, and just totally feel the spirit the whole time. But I'll ask the question that I always ask everyone. If there's one message that you want people to remember from listening to this episode, what would you like that one message to be? Michelle, you take it. I already kind of gave mine. Michelle, okay. you give Um, I guess mine is just maybe I kind of already said, but just that we have a loving father in heaven who cares about us and has a plan for us and sends us the tender mercies we need when we need them especially when we're asking for them. And that's all. Yes, perfect. (laughs) I agree with that. I love that. And you guys are just really incredible examples to me of people who share that all the time, that you share your faith and you share, you know, and you acknowledge God. And I love that so much. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to be on this podcast today. So where can people find you on your YouTube and your business and everything? Okay, so Michelle's business, I'll follow her on Instagram. It's rad underscore swim. 
Okay. And she's also Michelle.shumway on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then our YouTube, we have a family channel called The Shumway Show. So find us there. And then Michelle's been vlogging also. So find her on Shumway <laughs> Vlogs. Um, and then I'm just Kyle Shumway on Instagram. Mm-hmm. That's And The Shumway Show on Instagram. And The Shumway <laughs> Show on Instagram. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, we will link all of those in the show notes. And thanks so much again, you guys, for taking the time. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Love Say talking to you. For me. I will. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow. Subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox. And we'll email you every time there's a new episode.